I am still in the Psalms. <laughs> Before I say any, I love, I love your building. I, I, I love the acoustics. Uh, up in Hinckley, uh, I had the joy of seeing First Presbyterian Church uh, leave um, a building that was built in 1913 uh, that was, though usable, uh, did not meet modern codes and expectations. I remember as we, uh, the bathrooms were right across from the water heaters, which wasn't a particularly uh, uh, welcoming uh, place. You know, go down to the furnace room and turn left right across from the water heater. You, you tell your guests that. So anyway, we, um, we rebuilt in 1997. And I remember my first, uh, first day in my office, I felt like I had given up a dilapidated Chevrolet and I was now sitting in a Cadillac. <laughs> and perhaps you're feeling something of the same um, way. Although your former building was, was certainly lovely, it wasn't yours. And you had to share it with another though generous congregation um, we are glad that you have your own place your own identity and we trust that the Lord will bless you and this before you. I love the the, uh, the um, pipe organ. Love the piano too. I <laughs> don't want to leave anything out but uh, anyway it's, it's a wonderful uh, gift and we pray that the Lord will bless you with it. We're going to be looking at Psalm uh, 67 this morning. I've been titled as a prayer uh, for 2024. The minute I read this and saw that it landed on the last day of the year, I was, uh, I said, that's it. You know, that is, that is the vision that um, lies before us. What a great place to land. Now, when Pastor Ryan asked me to get information ahead of time, I had to do a lot of kind of guessing because I, I didn't, um, you know, I, it was a week before I would ordinarily prepare the message. So my outline will change a little bit. Uh, so pay attention when I give the points and uh, because some of them will be a little different, not so much in substance, but in my wording. Let us hear the reading of God's word once again. Please follow along as I read Psalm 67. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a psalm. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, that your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. 
God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. So as I was pondering this psalm, I, it, it struck me that Psalm 67 may well express the longing of the people of God when oriented rightly to his word and his kingdom. Historically, in the church, the psalm was read as a morning prayer daily, accompanied with the rising sun, so the very early canonical hours of the church. It can be regarded as a vision statement to help keep us on track when there are forces intent on distracting us and derailing us. And 2024 is adding up to be a year that promises to do just that. If predictions are true, and we don't know that they are, circumstances very likely will present themselves that can consume us if a strong vision is not firmly and tenaciously held to by the grace of God. And in the providence of God, this psalm stands at the transition of one year to the next. So a couple of comments on the opening, uh, the opening salutation. Um, it's written to the choir master, and every time I see that, that I realize this was supposed to be put to music in a way that God's people could sing it. And thus it has been prayed and sung throughout the ages. With stringed instruments, it was to be beautiful, crafted, artistically sound as well as theologically grounded. A psalm. And how does that distinguish from a song? The interesting thing about the word the song, a song, is there are four, four psalms here, 65, 6, 7, and 8, that have this label. Two of them are credited to David, and two of them are not, although David may well be the author of them, because they are found in a group of psalms that are penned by the Holy Spirit through David. Michael Wilcox says that it's one of a group of four, 66, 65 through 68, which breathe a different atmosphere from the previous 15 
so readily identifiable with many of the conflicts that harassed David and his life. A lot of Davidic Psalms, he's, he's uh, in the midst of conflict of some kind. Uh, David, the Messianic king, lived out almost daily the conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And it shouldn't surprise us that this messianic king with a small m, looking forward in the line of the greater son, the Lord Jesus, that the seed of the serpent would seek to play havoc on David's kingdom, to bring it down as he did on the kingdom of his greater son. The setting is perhaps a a psalm that was crafted for one of the festivals, the harvest festivals. And this has been suggested merely for verse 6, where it says the earth has yielded its increase, God, our God, shall bless us. Uh, It almost seems like a verse that is misplaced. Uh, But there it is, inserted in there, recognizing that God's Earthly blessings are all part, also part of the spiritual blessings of his kingdom. Those, those uh, harvest festivals would have been Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles held in the fall season. I'm intrigued by the Pentecost uh, reference and identity as that was the day God poured out his spirit on the church, that it might speak the word of God with power and in large part to the nations, which becomes one of the great focuses in this psalm. The substance, we will soon see, the substance is the Abrahamic covenant, the promise that God gave to this individual that he would become a great nation, and through him, all nations on earth would be blessed. And this is a thread that is woven through the fabric of Scripture and holds it all together right on up to the very end. And Psalm 67 is a virtual exposition of this covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is ubiquitous. It's a ubiquitous theme throughout the Old Testament and especially in the Psalter as it is here. And because of that, Alexander McLaren said in effect, this is a missionary psalm. And perhaps it is one that has been largely overlooked as such. The message of this psalm is this, that the message of the church of Jesus Christ remains the world's best hope, and we would do well as the people of God to keep our focus on our calling. And I'm of a mind that we need this admonition more than anything in the year to come. 
The message of the church of Jesus Christ remains the world's best hope. And we would do well to keep our focus on our calling. The psalm breaks down in three ways. The commentators are virtually all agreed on at least the basic breakdown. Here's the outline that I'm working with. May the blessing of God abound. This is our prayer. May the promise of God prevail. And may the fear of God increase. You can make the necessary changes in your bulletin if you are inclined to make notes. May the blessing of God abound. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. This is something of the church's charter. It certainly is the church's commission. It's been said by one commentator that if the spirit of this psalm is that of the messianic hope, its text is the ironic blessing. Now, doubtless, many times, your pastor, Pastor Ryan, has dismissed you with the blessing of God, the so-called ironic blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make your face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I don't know if you ever really pondered that. That's not just simply saying, goodbye, it's time to go. This is the pronouncement of God himself through his son, through his representative on earth, passing blessing upon you. In my day as a pastor, the pronouncement of the benediction was one of my grandest privileges that often brought me to tears. But there's a remarkable twist here. In the ironic blessing, which is found in Numbers chapter 6, verses 30, or 24 to 26, that blessing is on the people of God. But the blessing itself here, as it is repeated is to have an extension to the world beyond. Hear the words again. Here we see the blessing for the people of God. And we are reminded that such blessings come in many forms. For 2 Chronicles 7.14, you have often heard, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Beloved, this is not a promise to America, though it is often applied in that way. It's a promise to the church of Christ, whether it is in America or anywhere else in the world. It's a promise to the people of God. Repentance. It's a call to repentance, a call to reflection upon the great, the great truths of Scripture, and a promise that comes along with that. 
In Psalm 66, we read, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But the next verse says, But truly God has listened. Because he's forgiven us. He's, can I say, healed our land. Land in a symbolic sense. Healed the people of God. And that is God's program It is the fundamental promise of the covenant of grace. I will forgive your sins and remember them no more. But when that blessing is extended beyond, it becomes a missionary endeavor. And it's intended. We are intended to take that blessing to the world beyond. May the God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among the nations. With O. Palmer Robinson in his wonderful book, Study on the Psalms, called The Flow of the Psalms, that recognized that the first book of the Psalter, um, Psalms 1 through 41, One of its primary themes is the conflict between the seeds. And so we see a lot of Davidic Psalms where David is butting heads with his enemies. And his enemies are seeking to bring down his kingdom. We see in that the very expectation that Genesis 3.15 gives us. But a theme begins to develop and build momentum in book two. And that that theme is that God also wishes to speak to the nations. Not just to his people, but to the nations as well. And not just in judgment, although that is true, but also speak to the nations in hope that there is room for you too. In my kingdom. And Abraham, the promise of Abraham, promises that the seed of Abraham will become that blessing throughout the whole earth. To every tribe, tongue, and nation. God blesses his people with a purpose in mind. That the nations may know God's way and God's saving power. And thus he says here that your way may be known on the earth and your saving power throughout all the nations. Dane Ortland has said that the psalm immediately goes to draw the nations of the earth into, his, into this ancient blessing, the ironic blessing. This is who God is. He is not parochial, narrow-minded. His welcome to sinners is wide. We see this in the New Testament as well. It was the testimony of the church at Thessalonica, and Paul drew this out. You have become imitators of us and of God, he says. For you receive the word with much, much affliction, 
and with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers of Macedonia and Achaia. For you not only, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. The, the resonance of gospel hope from the church of Thessalonica preceded Paul so that he was already preaching to the choir by the time he got to these Greek cities. And that is our prayer for 2024. The blessing of God would, would abound. Rather than being drawn into the expected conflict that an election year is bound to bring. Let us pray that God's blessing abound to our beloved country and beyond. May the promise of God prevail. So we move from the blessing of uh, the ironic blessing of of Numbers 6, 24 through 36, to the Abrahamic promise, the covenant of Genesis 12, and many other verses throughout that book and beyond. Hear the word of God again, verses 3 through 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Unless... And unless we're uncertain as to who the peoples are, verse 4 says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. You can hear a theme here. That the promise of God to Abraham would prevail. And it is still prevailing today as the missionary endeavor unfolds. This is the church's calling. This is her missionary mandate. You have a missionary program. Stand with it. Pray that perhaps God would have you have a part in the public and global outreach of the gospel. Here is a remarkable turn that comes into view. And many of the Jewish nation never really caught on in its parochialism and drawing into itself. And it is a remarkable turn that comes into view, especially in the Psalter, Book 2, where God speaks to the nations the word of hope and a desire for their inclusion through Christ. The Lord speaks not only to his own people, but his interests lie also in the nation's as well, and so should ours. 
It is the fulfilling of the Abrahamic promise that we see here. There's no secret, as some in the evangelical world might surmise, no mystery parentheses in the New Testament. These verses are presented as something of a symphonic crescendo, beginning with, let the peoples praise you, let all the peoples praise you, let the nations be glad and sing, let the peoples praise you. It just goes on and on, as though we ought to get the point. Uh, Incidentally, you are the nations. And we are the benefactors of the Abrahamic covenant. Who do we have here? Dutch. We have Irish. We have English people. We have Asian, perhaps. We have Germans. People from all over, different nationalities. Perhaps one of you are... Jewish from the Israel, I don't know. But if you're not, we are the nations, the benefactors of the Abrahamic covenant, that God opened his arms to those of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Isaiah 49, verse 6 says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant? to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Charles Spurgeon says that the great theme of the psalm is the participation of the Gentiles in the worship of Jehovah. And that is what has brought us out here this morning. Let the peoples praise you, we read. Blessedness. This blessedness is inclusive to those who would bow before the King of Kings. They are invited. God has broken down the the dividing wall of hostility, Paul says in Ephesians 2.14. Let the peoples everywhere praise you. The great emphasis we see in these verses. Blessedness is not only inclusive, it's extensive. Every tribe, tongue, nation. We read in Revelation, verses 5, 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals, for you were slain, by, uh, you were slain and by your blood... You ransom people for God from every tribe and language and nation and people. And again, in Revelation 7, 9, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. He sees heaven torn open and he's gazing what what he sees there. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of God. And before the lamb clothed in white. This is not the message of the world. It's not what you will hear in the campaign season. We will hear division, division, and division. We will 
hear my side and your side, we and they, until it gets tiresome. But who's, where will our nation hear truth if we don't speak it? If we don't live it? Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let them know what we know. Let them into our world. Blessedness is not only inclusive, it is not only extensive, it is exhaustive. Every spiritual blessing, Paul says in Ephesians 1, 3, is found in Christ. Because you judge with equity, impartiality, and guide the nations pastorally, There is a pastoral concern here. Derek Kidner has said the capricious kindness which makes no moral judgments is as alien to biblical thought as the tyranny that rules without love. These verses remind me an awful lot of what Paul said in Ephesians 3. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. So that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depths and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. May the blessing of God abound. May the promise of God prevail. May the fear of God increase. This is the church's character. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. The fear of the Lord is the fundamental descriptive of a genuine child of God. It's got a lot of nuances to it. But basically, it's recognizing that the people of God, when we come into the presence of God through Christ, we are like Isaiah, who cries out, Woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. But that same God of whom we fell before in fear lifts us up, purges our souls from sin, and sends us forth rejoicing with a mission for his grace. This is the fundamental description of the child of God. One who fears the Lord, holds him in awe and in reverence, as well as love and delight. In the general sense, we pray, may God who reigns on the just and the unjust alike be held in respect and may his law be obeyed. That's not a bad vision. We would love to see that proliferated throughout our land, throughout the world. 
eschatologically, looking to the end days, the end times, and in an eschatological sense, may the king of kings reign. But in a very special sense, we pray that sinners would put their trust in Christ and learn the fear of the Lord, which is the sole beginning of true wisdom. May the fear of the Lord increase. Again, a commentator says, let God, the psalm encourages us to pray, who brings, out, brings much out of little and distributes it in love, brings such blessing upon us to make us, in our turn, the blessing of the world. That's the remarkable twist of this psalm. May God bless us that we can be the blessing to those who know not Christ. And this is our prayer. I think this is a good prayer as we enter this world, this new year. It's a missionary prayer. It's a blessed prayer. It's a hopeful prayer. It's something that will find will not be found in any other source save the church of Jesus Christ. This is all true because here is a missionary psalm. It's an ironic blessing. It's an Abrahamic promise. It's a messianic hope. We need to hold on to our vision when there will be conversations and temptations to be drawn into conflict with friend and neighbor and family, let us hold true to the faith to which we have been called. This is our hope for 2024. Wherever it leads us, however it shakes out. Let's hear the words of Dane Ortland as he says, why has God, why is God's grace come to you in the first place? For the same reason that came to the Israelites of old. So that this same grace can stream out to the nations. And that will be our calling in the year to come. And let us hold fast. Our gracious Lord. In the name of Jesus, we ask for your help to enter this new year before us with a vision that is sustaining and hopeful and life-changing as you may call many sons and daughters into your kingdom through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.